Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Everyone, the Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Gritty, your host, and I am here with my co-host Lou Wise, who's president of All Metals and Forge Group, the sponsor for Manufacturing Talk Radio. Today, we're going to be going over two very important reports. We're going to be speaking with Mr. Brad Holcomb, who's the committee chair of the ISM's report on business for manufacturing. In the first half hour, in the second half hour, we're going to be talking with Dr. Chris Keel, who is with Armada Corporate Intelligence. He's also a noted economist with the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. We're going to be talking to, with him about the Credit Managers Index, but before we get to our guests, I would like to speak with my co-host, Lou Weiss, who's going to post script and some news items. Lou, how are you doing today? I'm great. Great. I'm recovering from the uh, wet 4th of July evening that we had. Uh, however, there was fireworks in spite of it, but I uh, hope you had a good 4th. So uh, last week we uh, we had uh, Todd Birch, manager uh, and of Office of Apprenticeship Training in the Connecticut State Department of Labor, and Gary Cavello, who is the technical support and safety manager at Carby Corporation, is a private corporation and a success story of. Uh, the Department of Labor of Canada of Connecticut in regards to uh, apprenticeship training program, which they actually instituted, uh, started 30 years ago. Uh, and, of course, it's evolved and uh, grown and improved, and they are uh, really doing some successful stuff up in Connecticut, which is also right. a very technologically oriented uh manufacturing area because of uh, aerospace, uh, uh, United Technologies, Pratt Whitney, Sikorsky Aircraft, uh, Hamilton Standard, uh, and not too far away is General Electric in Massachusetts, but we won't talk about Massachusetts today. Uh, so they, they talked about uh, uh, government and private enterprise working together uh, to help the skills gap issue that exists uh, in this country and in uh, Connecticut, uh, by implementing a huge, hugely successful enterpriseship program, I think if any of you are listening and uh, have skill gap issues, perhaps you ought to tune into last week's show and kind of get a feel for how government and private enterprise can work together to a common goal. Uh, that being said, a couple of news items uh, for today. Uh, this, the first one doesn't really upset me at all, and like a bunch of other people, and that's to do with the BlackBerry. They've stopped production of the classic smartphone model. And there is a group of people who are BlackBerry people. And uh, they just, yeah, they just love to have those raised buttons. Uh, well, folks, no more. Say goodbye. It's gone. As of uh, Friday, the stock uh, price for BlackBerry dropped to $6.62. Uh, 
and um, you may be saying farewell to uh, BlackBerry at some point in the future. They're not doing well. Uh, AP Economics came out with a report about last year's uh, uh, figures, 2015, on average income. And here's a surprise. Average income in the United States has risen by 3.9%, the largest gain since 1998. I mean, is that a wild number? Of course, it doesn't beat the one percenters whose income rose 7.7% to $1.36 million for the year. The average income for last year was $48,726. Not bad. Not bad. They don't, they don't need the $15 minimum wage. They're doing, they're doing okay. Uh, but 7.7, I, I was surprised. I did not know that the one percenter was only $1.36 million. Seems like it's not a lot of money by today's standards. And only 50% taxes. Yeah, that, that almost makes it even with us. <laughs> uh, I don't want to steal the thunder of Brad Holcomb, who's near and dear to our hearts. He's been on our show since November 4th, 2013, every month. He's, uh, he's a real trooper. Uh, but I'm going to steal some of his thunder. The report came out. Uh, the ISM report came out. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I'm only going to go after the one number that concerns me the most as a manufacturer of forgings in, our, in my other uh, company, All Metals and Forge. The number went up to 55.7. It went up uh, 1.9 uh, points uh, since the month before. That also went up about one point and change. So that's really huge. 55.7, and as I remember in the past, Brad always tells us that 55 to 58 is the sweet spot. Is that? Do you recall that, Tim? Um, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Above 58, yeah, it gets a little area. overheated. Yeah, I, I like overheated better, though, frankly. <laughs> so, okay, uh, Tim, uh, back to you. We are here with Brad Holcomb, who is the chair of the Institute of Supply Management Manufacturing Business Survey Committee. And uh, the ISM has just come out with their uh, manufacturing report on business, and Brad is here to go through that report with us. Brad, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Great to be here to talk about the June report, and we even have a special report uh, concerning the Brexit situation. Right. Well, it's a great report to talk about, so, Brad, I'm going to let you just jump right into it. Excellent, excellent. Um, so on an overall uh, view basis, the June PMI reached 53.2%, the highest reading since February of 2015. The new orders index registered 57.0, its highest mark since December of 2014, 
and production came in at 54.7, its highest reading since July of 2015. So all of those highs within the last uh, 12 to 18 months in those important uh, indexes. Uh, of the 18 industries that we follow, 13 are reporting growth in June, with three reporting some degree of, of contraction. So, so that's an overall view. But as we go deeper into the report, you'll see that all of the indexes virtually are pointing in the right direction, uh, whether it's up or down, and we'll talk about that over the next 30 minutes. Okay, okay. Um, Brad, why don't we uh, talk about what uh, we usually get into first in the report that uh, I think our readers and listeners find so helpful, and that is manufacturing at a glance, the chart that, that you put together. Yes, our manufacturing at a glance really does tell the whole story in, um, in one consolidated table, uh, which uh, includes the PMI, where it is this month versus last month, the change, the direction, uh, and, and the, the trend, and so on. And likewise, it shows the five uh, indicators that feed directly into the PMI, namely new orders, production, employment, supplier deliveries, and inventories of raw materials. Plus, we carry five additional indexes, customer inventories, prices of raw materials, backlog of orders, new export orders and imports for additional insights uh, into manufacturing and to business conditions. So we'll, we'll talk about all of those. Um, but again, you'll see that they're all pointing in the right direction and uh, we, we seem to have captured some some really good momentum over the last four to six months, uh, this being the best month uh, of all so far to, to round out the first half of 2016. So from top to bottom, uh, again, the PMI at 53.2 is the highest since February of 2015, so about a year and a half, up 1.9% over last month, growing faster than last month, and growing for four consecutive months. And, and that follows five months uh, starting in October through February of a PMI below 50. And so we've, we've not only turned the corner, but we've started a, a very good uh, new positive trend with respect to manufacturing. Uh, the, the key uh, component that we, we always say sort of drives the bus here is new orders. And at 57.0, up 1.3% from last month is the highest, as I said, uh, since December of, of 2014. So what is that, two and a half years uh, growing faster than last month and growing for six consecutive months really, really a good, strong number uh, for the month of June. And production has to try and keep up with all of that, uh, as well <laughs> as to, to, to try and, you know, manage the backlog of orders. So let's see how production is doing. It's at 54.7%, up 2.1% from last month, growing faster than last month, 
growing for six consecutive months, uh, and uh, that's that's the highest in a year since July of uh, 2015. Um, next on our list, and and also included in the PMI calculation, is employment. Uh, we had been uh, below 50 for for a while, back above 50 to 50.4. Up 1.2 percent, growing uh, for for one consecutive month now. And as as we talked and commented on our on our May semiannual report, we we believe that manufacturing employment is going to pretty much stay put for the rest of the year. And this is another indication that that's the case. But not to worry, we have strong levels of employment, not just in, in manufacturing, but across the country as well. Next on our list, uh, supplier deliveries of uh, raw materials and subassemblies to our manufacturers uh, slowed this month, slowed faster than the last month. Uh, the index is at 55.4, up 1.3 percentage points. Uh, so slowing means that suppliers are having a harder time sort of keeping up. That represents tightness in the supply chain. Uh, it could also and does also include such things as one of our comments mentions, shipments are slower because of weather-related flooding. Uh, we're all aware of some serious flooding around the country in places like Houston, uh, and in other states as well. So that is having some level of impact on supplier deliveries. Uh, inventories of raw materials has moved up 3.5 percentage points to 48.5, uh, still contracting but moving northerly, if you will, uh, to improve its, its inventory position in view of the fact that those new orders keep, just keep coming. And, uh, you know, we've had a very lean, conservative inventory policy for the past, uh, you know, 18 months or so. And uh, this is starting to move in, in the other direction. Uh, well, so at 48.5, it's, sorry, it's, it's still contracting, but it's moving towards that 50 mark. You had uh, mentioned last month that, in fact, you expected, uh, given the numbers of last month, that inventory would have to rise, and, in fact, you, you are correct here. Yes, uh, they really have to, to keep up with new orders, but also let's jump down for a minute to the backlog of orders. Uh, that backlog increased 5.5 percentage points to 52.5, growing from contracting, and so the production level of 54.7 wasn't even able to keep up with with the combination of new orders and backlog of orders because the backlog rose. And so with this kind of a robust uh, situation, uh, inventories really has to rise as to be able to fulfill those orders. Brad, in terms of the 350 companies that uh, contribute to this, if that's the right number, I, I know you've got some comments from them. Do they tend to be a smattering across the spectrum of large and small? Are they mostly large? Are they 
generally small? What, what's the, uh, the mix of companies? Well, there's a there's a, a, a purposeful mix of small, medium, and large companies, and we have about 350 uh, seasoned uh, procurement and supply management professionals in that many uh, companies around the country that report uh, on a monthly basis. And just by way of, uh, of information, each particular respondent responds only with respect to the facility, the manufacturing facility in which they reside and work. So, for example, you know, a large, uh, you know, U.S. company with many locations or even global locations, the, the panelists are not reporting on the whole company. They're reporting on their manufacturing site. So, in total, we have a picture truly of U.S. manufacturing. Um, not sure we've emphasized that uh, enough. And uh, once again, we want to represent U.S. manufacturing, and uh, that's the way in which we position our panel. Okay, good, good. And what are the respondents saying uh, in the last couple of weeks here? Yeah, on, on the whole, um, you know, I select about 10 comments from the panel of the hundreds that we, we get and select those that I feel are representative. And the comments in general can be summarized for the most part as, as business is good on the whole, uh, of course, with, with some exceptions. Now let's take a look at uh, a, a couple or a few. From the machinery industry, one of our 18, uh, the respondent said, business is steady with some signs of increase. All right, now let's hold that thought. This is the machinery industry. I want to go all the way back to the end of the report where we talk uh, about a buying policy. And the first uh, area is capital expenditures. The average days to receive your capital expenditures when orders are placed went up by four days from 127 to 131 days. So the implication is that more capital expenditure orders are being placed with their suppliers, taxing their capacity to deliver and therefore increasing the average days. So if you look closely at all aspects of this report, you can glean uh, some pretty detailed information. Another comment from manufacturing, uh, miscellaneous manufacturing that is, business conditions are good, production and demand are stable. Um, Here's one from the chemical products industry. I, I mentioned uh, flooding with respect to supplier deliveries. The comment from chemical products is slower shipments because of weather-related flooding. Um, and uh, we can imagine that that's the case uh, in these uh, impacted areas. Um, another comment from primary metals Orders are slowing from China, uh, but American customers still steady. Uh, so again, a little bit of a you know a plus and a minus there. From plastic and rubber products, 
demand continues to be robust. Um, so there's a, there's a few of our comments. Well, good, certainly good, strong comments. Um, it, it, this, this to me is a very positive report, Brad. Uh, we were very pleasantly surprised that it jumped uh, that much. Um, any particular areas of the, of the report that uh, you think are uh, indicative of uh, maybe what's going to happen next month? Because this has been very strong. Well, we we certainly, and as I think I mentioned, I think we have we have gained some momentum. Um, this is, you know, pretty consistently, you know, up and to the right, if you will, in terms of the trends for the PMI, new orders, production, uh, et cetera. And there's, there's nothing in this report that would suggest that this isn't going to keep going, barring any unforeseen, you know, circumstances. We'll talk about Brexit in a minute. Uh, but just in sort of, you know, looking at, at some other items on this table, new export orders was up one percentage point to 53.5. Uh, that, that to me suggests that the price of the dollar, which is attenuated, has had an impact, and there's also uh, implied an impact of, of pent-up demand, you know, coming to the fore. So, Export orders is looking strong. Imports of raw materials uh, at 52 is up two percentage points, and that makes sense to, to be on the increase because imports of raw materials feeds our inventories, which is, is moving in that direction, uh, which feeds into, into production. So, uh, you know, all of that looks, looks great. The, the absolute only negative number on the page has to do with the prices of raw materials, which is still increasing at 60.5, but went down three percentage points from last month. That's certainly not a bad thing to attenuate the increase in, in prices. Um, and relatedly, we see a continuation of the same list of, of commodities up in price including aluminum, uh, the various steels, fuel oil, gasoline, natural gas, diesel, all of those commodities either directly or indirectly related to the price of oil. Hi, Brad. It's Lou. Hey, Lou. I've been sitting here, I've been sitting here quietly digesting the report, and you know me. I'm the first to complain that the numbers are never high enough. And my my wife says to me, "You're never satisfied." That said, this is a terrific report, and uh, we're seeing the same uh, numbers in our uh, the All Metals and Forge Group company. We're seeing also the same uh, uh, the same direction. So we're, we're very very that. good. That that's excellent, and you know I think it's very very healthy to to think about the fundamentals of manufacturing, the fundamentals of our economy. You know, things really don't change on a day-to-day -day basis, even if if there's an unforeseen circumstance. And this report demonstrates that, that, you know, certainly we're not headed for a recession. This keeps going up. The economy's been growing for 85 consecutive months. And, you know, everything's set up 
such that you know this this should and and could continue uh, in the, in the trend that we're on, and so um, I was very very pleased to see this this report being so strong in every single dimension. Uh, Brad, uh, this is a, a little off topic, but uh, I know you like uh, uh, voicing your opinions and uh, suggestions about what the future holds. Uh, in view of all the negative things that are going on globally, uh, you know, Paris, Brussels, uh, California, and all, all these terrorist activities that are going on, how much of that do you think is affecting the, the psyche of the business owner in terms of uh, releasing uh, funds or releasing contracts to either expand their business or bring in more inventory or what have you? Well, I, I would say that, you know, looking at the numbers and the lack of comments that are, you know, directed in, in that way, uh, really virtually no, no comments. I think from a business standpoint, uh, there's, there's really negligible, if any, impact uh, from a you know, a personal standpoint, everyone feels the same about these horrible incidents uh, that we're, we're getting very, very tired of. Um, but at the same time, you know, business keeps moving forward. And I think that, you know, the president and, and many, you know, echo the sentiment that, you know, th those kinds of situations aren't going to stop us. We're going to keep moving forward as a country, as a nation, as a world. Um, and, you know, that's not going to, to beat us down. My, my sentiments as well. Good. So Now let's talk about uh, Brexit, if you will. The report that we've just discussed uh, was largely the data was largely collected, you know, prior to the vote and the announcement that uh, the UK voted to to exit the European Union. I think surprised many, and certainly uh, inspired us at ISM to go out subsequently very quickly with a tailored specific report asking our our panel. And actually, both of our panels, the manufacturing and non-manufacturing, so about 700 people to respond and tell us, you know, what impact they they foresee uh, for the rest of the year uh, as a result of the Brexit vote. And we we got that report back um, as of uh, Tuesday night. You know, compiled the results, and on the whole. The, the sort of highest level question was what, what do they feel that the net financial impact of Brexit is on their organization? The majority believe that Brexit would have a negligible impact on their firm. Now, if we look at the details of that for manufacturing, you know, and, and these numbers will add up to 100%, 58% uh, indicated a negligible impact, 31% a slightly negative impact, 7% a negative impact, 
But on the flip side, 4% said a slightly positive impact. So it's, it's basically neutral uh, on average. Um, and this, uh, you know, represents our initial view in the first couple of days, uh, you know, after the vote. I suspect if we polled them again today, they might have a slightly different answer, sort of like the stock market has had a different answer the last uh, three days versus the first three days of this situation. Yes. Is this the first time that uh, ISM has done a supplemental report like this? Well, it's the first time in on, on my watch in the last six or seven years, uh, to my knowledge. So it it, it had that level of uh, of merit uh, to going back sure. out to our panel. Um, now let, let's let's look at um, for, for those that felt that there was going to be some impact, we wanted to know, you know, what areas they were concerned about, uh, whether, and, and the areas were financial market uncertainty, you know, stock market and markets around the world, currency movements, uh, global growth, uh, and specifically trade with, with the UK and, and EU. The, the main concerns seem to be in the area of financial market uncertainty, where manufacturing uh, respondents at 65% said somewhat concerned, 25% very concerned, and 10% not concerned. That's with respect to, to market financials, or financial market uncertainty, I should say. Uh, the, the other one which is notable was what about currency movements? You know, the U.K., um, I presume, is going to readopt its own currency, you know, et cetera, and there may be different valuations going on. Fifty-five percent of our manufacturing panels said they were somewhat concerned about currency movements, 26 percent very concerned, and 19 percent not concerned. Um, so that that sort of gets into their, their, their head in terms of what are the areas of concern. But once again, let me reiterate that on the whole, they felt that the net financial impact of Brexit was either negligible or slightly negative, with some voting uh, negative 7% and some voting a positive impact 4%. And I kind of like the positive, uh, positive number, whatever it might be, uh, and, you know, my personal opinion is that, you know, being the eternal optimist, this could could have a very positive impact on the U.K., on Europe, and on global growth um, by, by stimulating more competitiveness, you know, in all of those areas uh, to get a larger portion of the pie uh, versus, you know, the current situation. Well, I, I kind of uh, share the feeling, I think, of your uh, respondents that in the overall and over time, this is not going to be as earth-shattering as the media would like to make it appear to be, because if they can make it appear to be shattering, then they can sell newspapers and advertising time on television. <laughs> well, and it's, it's great. 
Yeah, and it's great fodder for the politicians as well. Uh, and, you know, there have been, uh, you know, some statements out there. I'm not sure exactly where they're coming from, that manufacturing is, is in, the, in the doldrums. Uh, it's going downhill. Not the case. Absolutely untrue. We're strong, and, uh, you know, and to think otherwise is just being uninformed. Or lying like a rug. Exactly. <laughs> or your hairpiece. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad, is there anything else in summing up this report or your special supplement that you want to share with our listeners before we wrap up this segment? I know you've got a busy schedule today. You know, I'd like to reiterate that every single index is pointing in the right direction. Uh, there's strong uh, support very broadly. We've got, I think, 13 of our industries reporting growth and only three reporting some level of decline. Uh, you know, that's about the, the same kind of numbers we see in new orders with 12 industries reporting growth and, and five reporting some degree of, of contraction. Production is up, as we've said, highest level in, in a year. Employment's at 50 break-even. That's right on our forecast. So I'd invite your your listeners to to pour into this, to look for their industry, uh, to appreciate where they are with respect to their industry and with manufacturing as a whole. Yeah, I think that's certainly important, and uh, the report does give them a good comparison of where other industries are at because you really do rank. Uh, in each of the sections, what uh, the strongest uh, um, industries are for growth and what uh, ones are not experiencing growth. So overall, right. excellent right. report. Again, uh, Brad Holcomb with uh, the Institute of Supply Management just releasing the, uh, the uh, report on business for manufacturing. Brad, thank you for being on the show with us. My thank pleasure. You, Brad. Thank you. And uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back after these words from our sponsors. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877 877- 877-6778 or visit americancrane.com that's americancrane.com or 877-877-6778 All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, 
OEM or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason ThomasNet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to ThomasNet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. In this segment, we're going to be talking with Dr. Chris Keel. He is an economist with uh, the FMA, the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. We met Chris at a conference, and uh, his corporation, Armada Corporate Intelligence, uh, works with a number of different companies and associations to help them with their uh, economic analysis. And one of the, the analyses he does is with the Credit Manager's Index Report. Chris, uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Just, just super. Uh, Lou and I are here wondering, uh, because the PMI report was so good, if you have equally positive news for the credit managers in that. Well, I'm here to tell you that, uncharacteristically, I'm going to be the downer this time. Um, we're seeing some things that are a little bit concerning, a little bit disturbing, particularly as far as the future is concerned. And I was listening to some of Brad's comments a minute ago. And I can't say that I share his feelings about the Brexit either. Um, so I think that's going to be a really, really big problem and, and not in the particularly distant future. So I'm just going to be all depressed and, and horrible all the next half hour. So. <laughs> well, tell me, why, why do you think Brexit is going to be such a problem? Well, you have to look at what Europe looked like before the European Union, and there was a tremendous amount of what amounted to bureaucratic waste. I mean, people complain about the EU because it's large and bureaucratic, but the alternative is to deal with the individual bureaucracies of 28 separate countries. Prior to the EU, you had rail lines that did not match one another. You had to change cars when you got to the border. Everything that was shipped had to be dealt with at the border. Um, Britain has relied on the European Union for about 2 to 3% of its GDP annually, and it is not at all clear that they're going to be able to make up the difference. I mean, there's this confident notion that Britain will simply shift its trade elsewhere, and the question then becomes, like, for instance, so, you know, they already trade a lot with the U.S., and that's not likely to get any different. It's not going to go up. It's not going to go down. But if Britain is thinking it's suddenly going to become more involved in Asia, well, Germany, the U.S., and Japan are already there and have a pretty entrenched position. It's just hard to see where Europe finds replacement for almost a third of its trade. There were a lot of assumptions that this wasn't going to be that big a deal, that everyone was going to be calm about it, and Britain would have two years to figure out what it wanted to do. And that's before the first meeting where the Germans said, don't let the door hit you on the way out. We don't like you. We want you out by August. Um so there are some serious hard feelings in Europe. The Europeans are not happy and are not going to cut the British any slack at all. 
Well, that will certainly make it tough on uh, on the UK. Uh, yes. You know, I don't know. I, well, the, the wind out of my I mean, the big impact as far as we're concerned is simply the dollar value. The dollar has been weakening a little bit, and we saw our exports come back to life. If the dollar now starts to get strong again, um, it's going to be a problem for exports. The British have never been part of the Eurozone. The pound has always been independent, and it has now plummeted. Um, very difficult for the British to buy anything from anyone right now. On the other hand, they're going to be in a very good export position, which might not do us any good. We compete with a lot of the British manufacturing, and if they're able to suddenly undercut us by pretty dramatic numbers, um, it's not going to help the domestic manufacturing sector compete. So we're also now gaining against the euro. We know what that feels like. Um, We dealt with that earlier last year, even the beginning of this year. 90% of the reason the Fed has not raised rates is that they're concerned about making the dollar that much stronger. Well, Chris, what does the U.K. look like uh, a couple of years hence? I know Scotland is now considering an independence vote because they want to be part of the EU. Ireland is watching Scotland to see what they do. Uh, uh, Does the U.K. hold together or does it finally fall apart? It is entirely likely that it begins to fall apart because the only reason the Scots voted to stay in the UK was that they felt like they had some protection from England and the EU. Now, without the EU as their protector, they are seriously considering departure. The referendum to leave passed only or lost only narrowly. The Northern Irish, um, Ireland has reported that almost 60,000 people have applied for Irish passports already. Um, They don't want to be isolated from Europe either. So it's it's potential catastrophe for, you can tell the way it's affected their politics. Neither of the major parties in Britain have a leader right now. And, I mean, it's just it's utterly leaderless. There's no one in charge of labor. There's no one in charge of the Tories. And there's no one even coming forward that's in a position to challenge for leadership. So the whole country is like, wow, now would be a good time to have a prime minister in power. Um, unfortunately, we don't. Well, I, I think we're in a similar boat. We don't have a leader for either party in the United States either. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we may not have people we like, but the fact is that, you know, we have a president in place. We have a Congress in place. There are people who can make decisions. That does not exist in the U.K. right now. There is not a single person in that country that can make a decision for the country. The prime minister has resigned. He will be leaving office in two or three months. He has resigned. There's no one to replace him. And it's kind of like, you know, I don't. we don't have the same structure as do the British. It's a parliamentary system. And when there's no leader in a parliamentary system, nothing happens. Nothing. There's no one to negotiate. It sounds like, Chris, that they can't even negotiate their exit from the U.K. No. Or from I mean, the EU. There was no plan afoot. No one believed this was really going to happen. And there was no preparation. Both major parties were pushing to stay in the EU. And so it's not like one party wanted one thing, the other party wanted another. They both wanted the same thing. 
and they both lost. And so they're they're beside themselves as to as to what happens next. And it it could be months before this gets worked out. Granted, Europe goes through this periodically. The Spanish have not had a government for over a year, but it makes it really difficult to negotiate and develop plans and strategy because you don't have a government. There's no one to to make that decision. You sort of still function, but it it's you know, right now it's being referred to as the zombie government. It's still moving, but the brain's dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Chris, why uh, don't you tell us how you really feel? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I told you I was going to be a real downer all, all the whole half. I time. know. I, I see that. All right. This is a new, like, new Chris. <laughs> it's so like let's talk. Any moment now, any moment now, we're going to be invaded by Canada. I just know it. Um, so. Yeah, they're building a wall. They they're are, building a they wall are. to keep us out. Yeah, exactly. Mexico is going to pay for it. Yeah, they they do they do refer to us as south of the border, so you know. <laughs> so then, what does the credit managers index look like? Is it equally bleak? <laughs> well, it, it's I'm afraid to hear it. Yeah, it's a little nuanced. Um, as listeners know, the CMI is divided into what we refer to as favorable and unfavorable factors. The favorable factors are those that make credit managers happy. It's things like sales and applications for credit and dollar collections, people catching up with their credit. It has to do with the amount of credit extended. So those are the things that constitute the positive part of the credit manager's world. The good news is that's not where the change was mostly taking place. We still see pretty good numbers when it comes to the favorable factors. It dropped just a hair from where it was the month before, a little bit lower than the month before that, but still very respectable mid-50s territory. The part that was concerning is the unfavorable factors. These are things like Accounts out for collection, bankruptcies, disputes, um, slow pays, all the things that signal some sort of credit distress. Those all got worse, and several of them are now in the sub-50 category in serious decline. What worries us is that it seems that the slow, slow recovery that we've been dealing with for the last several years is starting to claim its victims. You're starting to see companies that just can't do it anymore, and they're falling behind in their payments. They're getting further and further away from their negotiated credit status. They're out for collection. They're going bankrupt. It's sort of inevitable. You knew that weak companies would eventually get weak, but now we're starting to see a little bit of an acceleration of that. So I think you're getting a divide and you've got companies that are doing very well and they're going to continue to go through the year. Maybe we'll start to even accumulate market share as their rivals go down. Um, meanwhile, we're seeing a lot of companies not doing so well struggling. The biggest problem has still been the oil and gas sector. That's where most of that distress is being seen. But you're also seeing it a little bit in traditional manufacturing. Um, companies that have been servicing the auto sector, and they have reacted to some of that slowdown. Uh, companies in aerospace, even companies in agricultural machinery, uh, reacting to 
kind of a sluggish couple of years as far as ag is concerned. The latest news when it comes to farming is not good because we're looking at absolute record harvest this year. And more than some of these guys have seen in their entire careers, good news for people who want cheap food, really bad news for farmers who are going to watch their per bushel prices plummet. You're just a happy guy today. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. I have to correct myself. I made a misstatement earlier in the show about the new orders from ISM, and I stated that it was uh, 55.7 when it's actually 57.0. I mean, I need right. a little lift here. I mean, that's a real number, so I'm not exactly. just making well, it up to make up for your bad news Well, and the good news, you know, just just remember that the good news, if you look at the report, is that, you know, we're all excited about the PMI being up into that that range. Well, you know, the index of favorable factors is 55.9. It's just a little down from 56. So we're still in that same ballpark. We're still in that mid-50s range, which is a good place to be. The highest that we have seen that number in the last year was last July, almost a year ago, when it hit 63.1. And between that month and this one, we've seen 58, 56, 58, 56, 54, 56. I mean, it's right around that same range. So it's nothing to get too distressed about. The part that, as I said, is worrisome is that we get 50.1 when it comes to the index of unfavorable factors and you know, that's point one above flat and, and heading towards towards distress. But again, we've been kind of in that same range for a year. I mean we've had many months where we've been under fifty and at least we're not there, we've been above fifty for four months now. Well, that's uh, that's a little more encouraging. I thought for a moment I was gonna have to cue our engineer to uh, run the uh uh, first, the PSA ad for the suicide hotline. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, it's, it's the inevitable sort of give and take of business is that oftentimes success for one business comes at the expense of another. And I think what we're starting to see in, in some of the high-flying sectors is a bit of a shakeout. I mean, everybody was making money in the oil and gas sector when that boom was in place. Well, the boom is gone. And many of those companies just couldn't make it, and they're being gobbled up by those that are doing better. That's kind of inevitable. Where we don't want to see it is in things that are more year-in and year-out traditional manufacturing drivers like automotive, uh, like just kind of the general healthcare-related manufacturing, which is still growing, by the way. The other thing I know, uh, Chris, is that we have heard all kinds of reports on what the GDP is going to be through the end of the year and what it might be like in 2017. Uh, we're not hearing a big number. It's it's now shrunk to less than two for the rest of this year, and maybe it might hit two for uh, next year. Do you concur with that? Well, I think what we're running into, there's a term that's going around in economics right now called specular stagnation. Um, Larry Summers, who was Secretary of Treasury and advisor to the president, all kinds of different stuff, has kind of coined this term. And what it basically means is that 
we're not going towards recession. We're not going towards a boom. We're just in this slow, sluggish, fundamentally unsatisfying, but not crisis creating 2.5, 2.3, 2.0. We can survive at that level for a long time. We don't fix problems very well when we're growing that slowly. We are probably not going to see enough growth to really address deficits and debt. We're not going to see enough growth to suddenly finance infrastructure development or workforce development. To be able to deal with some of those chronic problems, we need to be up around three and a half, four to four and a half. And right now, almost nobody is predicting that. Um, on the other hand, the flip side, the good news side, no one's predicting a recession either really. You've seen some economists kind of spouted, but it's the same crowd. We always refer to these guys as stopwatch economists because the stopwatch is right twice a day. You just have to know when to ask. And if you predict recession every single year, eventually it'll come true, and you can say, see, see, I predicted it. Yes, you did. You've been predicting it since 1983. Um, So we finally got it. Good for you. Um, Chris, one of your uh, one of your favorite yeah. thing one of your favorite sayings, Chris, that I've used it actually two or three times this week, and it's the famous word unless. <laughs> exactly, um, it is it is the economist mantra. You know, you have to remember the the first two laws of economics. The first law is that for every economist, there's an equal and opposite economist, and the second law is that they're both wrong. <laughs> yes, yes. The one that I've often heard is that if you lined up all the economists end to end, they wouldn't reach a conclusion. That's exactly right. Um, it, it, we we are we are creatures of the data, and as you've been dealing with today with both Brad and I, it's just we can have our opinions, we can express ourselves, we can think what we want to think, but at the end of the day, we look at data and it's like, oh. Well, I wasn't expecting that, or, gee, that's good news. You just have to eventually turn to the numbers, and and at that point you have sort of strength in in the veracity of the data. And both the CMI and the PMI have been around long enough for people to have vetted them and to know that they don't go veering off into wildly unpredictable directions. Now, Chris, what is uh, the rest of the EU... Uh, reaction to the Brexit? I mean, are, are, are they pushing for this immediate exit even though it's going to hurt? Well, yeah, to a certain extent. Emotions are running really high right now. And you have to recognize that Britain has been complaining about Europe and the EU for decades. And the Germans resent it, the French resent it. Um, but the important thing to note is that most Europeans have a pretty negative attitude towards the European Union. Um, They feel the bureaucratic pressure as well. The southern states that got into such financial distress, Italy and Spain and Greece and Portugal, they really hate the EU because they were waiting for the EU to rescue them, which the EU didn't do. And so they're all sort of looking at it like, well, what good are you? You know, we were paying this money all these years. Why aren't you coming to our defense? The only countries that have really taken a opposition position that's similar to that of the UK or the new ones, East and Central Europe, because they resent 
the whole conversation coming out of Britain. If you think back to what was motivating this vote, very little of it was really economic. Um, a lot of it was emotional. It was resistance to immigration. That was the number one issue on, on the British mind. Different than our immigration, different than we think of it. The people that they are opposed to are from East and Central Europe. The 330,000 people that immigrated to Britain last year Close to 300,000 of them were from places like Poland, Bulgaria, Romania, Czech Republic, Slovakia. They're not worried about the Middle East. They don't get a lot of people from the Middle East. They're not even worried about illegal immigration, which is very difficult into Britain. It's an island. <laughs> it's kind of hard to get to. But <laughs> they are very concerned with the fact that the pre-migration of EU members allowed people in the East European countries to come to Britain looking for work. So it's, it's real concern over too many people from Poland and Slovakia and Bulgaria and elsewhere. So the Eastern European countries are reacting to the British like, well, really? You dislike us that much? Don't hesitate. Leave the EU right now. We hate you as well. <laughs> so... <laughs> it, it, it gets pretty nasty. I mean, I think, you know, there's Belgium still likes the EU. It's headquartered there. Okay. Well, obviously it's going to be a, a very interesting exit to watch. Uh, yep. We appreciate your insights on it, as always, as well as with the credit manager's index report. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining us again on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You are so welcome. Thank you, Chris. Bye-bye. Bye now. And, uh, Lou, next week's show is uh, interesting. What have we got set up? We have uh, Professor Adriana Sanford. She's our uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio Senior International Correspondent for uh, Corporate Compliance and Ethics. She's a Clinical Associate Professor at the W.P. Corey Carey School of Business. Uh, her her uh, bio goes on for about three pages, so I'll, and we only have about 30, 40 seconds, so I'll leave it at that. Uh, but we're looking forward to her talking about uh, Brexit and uh, the transatlantic flow of data and uh, how all of this is going to affect U.S. manufacturing. And if she talks anything like uh, Chris did today, we might not have her on. <laughs> We're going to be running that uh, public service announcement for the suicide online right after this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right after this a new advertiser. A new advertiser. Yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting. We've all been kind of watching this, wondering when it was going to take off and hopefully in the upward direction. And uh, I think Chris is right. It is kind of just bumping along. Uh, fortunately favorable, not unfavorable at the moment. Um, it seems to be that way. So, but as long as that new order count stays high, they'll keep us warm and fuzzy. Amen. Then we'll catch, we'll catch you next week, Tim. Lou, thanks for being on the show with us. We appreciate uh, the sponsorship of All Metals and Forge Group, and that's a wrap for Manufacturing Talk Radio this Tuesday. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.